0: Spring training is finally here.
1: The program that we put together in spring, I think, is awesome. <laughs> and it's almost like the players kind of know now what they're going to do.
0: Welcome to the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast that takes you inside the clubhouse and gives you the stories behind the score. I'm Jay Black with our AJC Braves beat reporter, Justin Toscano, coming to us from our AJC Braves spring training headquarters near Northport, Florida. Justin, those may be my favorite words in the English language. Pitchers and catchers report today today. Well, at least for some of
2: them. you and maybe every other baseball fan ever. Those words always seem to elicit excitement. The new seasons here, better weather for those of us down at spring training. You'll get the sometimes grainy, sometimes fuzzy photo and video from iPhones of guys throwing, guys reporting, guys working out. But we're one step closer. Opening days not too far away. So we're, we're kind of back. And you and I have a lot to talk about.
0: Uh, we do, and we will lay out uh, coming up here those steps uh, that we'll be making as we inch our way closer to uh, opening day and what we can expect this week at Cool Today Field, plus the position battles to decide this month and how the Braves will use these spring training workouts to adjust to the new rules. Plus, we'll talk about Max Freed's arbitration situation, Rod Lacuna going to the WBC, and we'll answer your questions in the Ask Justin segment this is your first time listening to us, welcome aboard, and please make sure you follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. All right, first off, uh, we are recording this around lunchtime on uh, Super Bowl Sunday. And as you hear this, congratulations to the team that won the Super Bowl. That's the one I picked. Uh, and the weather in Atlanta is about a 3 out of 10. So, Justin, how's it going down in Florida?
2: And it's about a, you know, I'd say it's always a 10, 10 out of 10, especially after you come off a of winter. I mean, it's a nice 70 degrees. Really windy the last couple of days, um, and the humidity kicked my butt on yesterday's run this is not you know it's it's not an Atlanta treadmill workout out here it's uh it's a little bit different but I mean it's sunny 70 degrees that's pretty much all you need to know
0: well, let's go ahead and start talking about the ball here and uh, manager Brian Snicker told us last month at Braves Fest that uh, they've got a pretty good routine rolling now when it comes to
1: spring training the program that we put together in spring I think is awesome <laughs> and it's almost like the players kind of know now what they're gonna do, the coaches, we have it. They all have their things. You know, I, that's to say the biggest thing I can do is just go down there and stay out of their way. You know, because 'cause you'll go down there and you know, it's good the sun's gonna be coming up and Wash is gonna be on his back half field with his bucket of balls and and his fungo and, you know, his team of guys that are down there putting those guys through the paces and you'll see them guys walk down there. EY's gonna have his machine on the half field and sights and the and mags will have the cage rolling and so, you know, those kind of having the same consistency in in the group I think is huge Just because when we get down there, I guarantee it's just everybody's going to start doing their thing again without, you know, like I say, the biggest thing I do is try and stay out of their way.
0: Uh, first of all, there's a lot of nicknames of assistant coaches in there. We've got Rod Washington, Eric Young, uh, hitting coach Kevin Seitzer. Uh, but, uh, Justin, take us through kind of how this first week of spring training is going to go and how it's a little different than what we're used to.
2: Yeah, so it's a little different because the pitchers and catchers – who are competing in the World Baseball Classic? So for the Braves, that would be Alan Ronhell, the minor league righty who's on Team Mexico, and then Chadwick Trump, uh, who's going to play for the Netherlands the catcher. Those guys have to report by today, Monday the 13th. Pitchers and catchers, non WBC pitchers and catchers, so everybody else has to report by Wednesday. The first pitchers and catchers workout is Thursday. The position players don't have to report until the 20th, and the first full squad is the 21st. Now, I expect a lot of guys, if not almost everybody, are going to be here early, so that you won't really need to know those dates as much. But in terms of the first workout for pitchers and catchers on the 16th and the first full squad workout on the 21st, those are the two important dates. Stuff moved up a little bit uh, for some guys because of the World Baseball Classic stuff. They've gotten earlier report dates. so that's kind of what you need to know there. The first week is usually, you know, like Snit laid out in that quote. It's like you'll see guys in the cage, guys taking ground balls. You know, you might get some live BPs after a couple of days. But a lot of times it's usually kind of the, the early workouts for guys who have reported, you know, if position players report early, they'll work out. But there won't be a full, you know, a full squad workout. So it's kind of based on who's there. Uh, the work they can get in, what they can do. So this first week might be a bit scattered because of the World Baseball Classic, but I expect everybody is going to be there, especially because if you look at the 21st is only a few days before the Grapefruit League slate opens on the 25th um, at Cool Today Park. So I would assume most Braves position players who can be here early will be here early, um, and everybody will kind of be getting their work in this week you know, in different facets.
0: Now, when we say first full squad workout, first pitchers and catchers workout, what what does that mean exactly? how How does a how does a workout, how does a spring training practice day go?
2: Yeah, so when it's organized, when it's not organized, we'll start with that. Say Charlie Morton's roaming around the facility tomorrow. He, you know, he'll go out, he'll throw whatever, maybe like you know, they'll get their work in, they'll work out, in the the gym or a hitter will hit in the cage when we get to the first you know pitches and catches workout the first full squad workout it's more organized it's like a a practice so you know guys will get out you know they'll get ready they'll get out there you know on the field and they'll go through their stretching and go through a little bit of the warm-ups together almost it almost looks like a football team for that first five or ten minutes and remember these are the only these full squad workouts before the games are like the only time baseball ever has true practice. Right. Like, so you'll see those guys stretch, they'll work out, they'll warm up and then they'll kind of go their separate ways. So a lot of times I forget what they do here, but at some parks they'll have like a horn or a whistle and that's how they know to go to different stations. So it's like Austin Riley might be on infield practice, you know, on field eight or something at, you know, 10 a.m. And then at 1115, he might be part of the group that's taking uh, batting practice at the main stadium. Or on another day, you know, Matt Olson at 1130 might be a part of a group that's hitting, you know, doing live BPs on the stadium field. But usually before that, it's segmented. The infielders will go with wash, the outfielders will be on the main stadium uh, with Eric Young, senior, and then got hitters in the cage, things like that. So it, it almost shifts through stations, and there's so many fields at a spring training complex uh, that they have enough for, you know, not only the major leaguers, but also the non-roster, you know, invitees that are there, too. It's, it's a big camp, and the minor leaguers will shuffle in, uh, in a little bit here, so that's usually how it goes. It's like an organized practice where they all start together, and then they go their separate ways based on their specific groups, and it's like station to station.
0: Now because of the, you know the WBC, it's not totally business as usual. But it may not really be business as usual for un, you know another reason. There's a gigantic major wrinkle that everybody's going to be dealing with this baseball season, and that's several new rules, especially the pitch clock. I think I've always worked fairly quick, so personally, I, I think I'll be okay. But I think getting to use it in spring, I think will definitely help because you know even though sometimes you may go fast than you think, and sometimes you may be working slower than you think. So uh, now you're going to actually have that you know have to know that in your mindset that hey, I gotta gotta catch the ball and gotta go. Can't take too much time to think about it. That's Kyle Wright. And before we get to the Grapefruit League games, you know how much time, especially, will the pitchers and catchers be spending trying to get used to this and trying to adjust?
2: You know. I think it's probably less than we think, Um, especially you know for guys like Kyle who already work quickly. Most of the brave starters do tend to work quickly. I think I'm trying to think of their bullpen. Most of those guys, you know, should be relatively quick. uh, Especially with Kenley Jansen signing in Boston, he was actually tempo-wise that metric was the third slowest pitcher in baseball last year, but. I think there will be adjustments case to case. Like if Travis Darno or if Sean Murphy needs to work with pitcher X, you know, a little bit, they will. But I think pitchers will more so do what Spencer Strider also told us at that Fan Fest day was he was speeding up the rates of his bullpens a little bit and just figuring out how much time he would have to make mental adjustments. Uh, so I think it's going to be a little, you know, it'll be an adjustment, but most of it will be figured out in the games. Which will be interesting as well because we usually just view those games for starting pitchers as the buildup. You go one inning, you go two innings, four innings, five, whatever it might be. However, the buildup is. Um, and Jay, let me raise you this something that I'm very excited about in regards to the new rules. Who's going to tell Max Scherzer that he took too long and just assessed ball four <laughs> to uh, to you know to Juan Soto or to you know what if it's like. What if Tomas Nito is at the plate or maybe somebody else? Think of a catcher or somebody who doesn't swing a big stick and, you know, a veteran pitcher out there. Who's going to tell that guy? Who's going to tell Mike Trout that he struck out because he didn't get back in the box quickly enough?
0: Yeah, that's, I haven't really thought about that. But yes, um, rules and enforcement will be two different things, but the umps run the show. But that sort of tension. How how much do you think that tension is gonna is gonna be there? Because nobody said on the record, you know, this last month that they were opposed to this, but clearly there there was some opposition. We had the labor negotiations last year, but how much of that tension do you think will bubble up inside the game, or is this gonna go pretty smooth? I, I honestly think
2: <laughs> at a certain point it'll go pretty smooth. Like you have the guys who aren't fans of it, right? But it's it's almost like adapt or die now because it's one of those things that If you're not willing to speed up or if you're not good at speeding yourself up, you're not going to get paid as much. And you might not get paid at all, depending on how good you are, you know, in future free agent classes. I think there'll be some tension toward the beginning, depending on how it's called or if, you know, we'll see if those superstars get superstar calls. I hadn't thought of it either. And to be fair, that's that's almost a player, you know, not concern, but just a tidbit when I was asking players last Geez, I think it was uh, September when these rules were officially announced, and I think it was, it might have been Matt Olson in the clubhouse who told me, who was like, "Yeah, he's like," <laughs> he goes in his dry tone, he goes, "Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll be interested to see if the umpires are, are going to, you know, tell Mike Trout he struck out, or you know, tell Justin Verlander that you know he he just issued somebody a walk because they weren't fast enough." I think there'll be a little bit of tension and you might hear, you know, throughout the year to reporters on TV, on the radio, you're going to hear some gripes and some grumbles and the, you know, well, it completely changes the game or, and there's a concern I have about that as well that we can discuss, but I think it's going to go relatively smoothly. You talk to a lot of the guys in the minors and they like it. And granted, like somebody like Tucker Davidson, I talked to him when he was up with the Braves last year, briefly, Tucker Davidson, I know, is not an established major league pitcher. Um, he's not a Justin Verlander. He's not a Max Scherzer. He's not a Max Freed. He's not a Charlie Morton. He's not even a Spencer Strider. But a lot of these guys like it. Like, he liked it. And Austin Riley was telling me the same thing last year when I asked him about these rule changes. He's like, you know what? He's like, I talked to a lot of these minor league guys, and they just like it. He was like, I know some guys will be opposed to it, but they like it. Brian Snicker, who's seven, 67 years old and has been doing this forever, is in favor of it. I think it'll be a lot less contested than we think, but still an interesting adjustment.
0: Yeah, you mentioned your how you think this is going to change the game. How do you think this is going to change the game?
2: We're all in favor of keeping games under four hours, right?
0: Like, that's generally strip, a good plan.
2: Yeah, I don't want to strip baseball of its purity, of its history, all that stuff. I'm not trying to rip the game down you know, from its pillars. But it will do that. It'll speed it up. My one concern, what do we do in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings? So many times we see reliever X, you know, struggle or maybe not even struggle. He's in a jam, you know, maybe a bad call here results in a walk, a little jam shot there is a hit, and suddenly you've got a couple runners on base, right? In those situations, they teach you to regroup. Take a breath, take a second, kind of pace a little bit behind the mound, get back up there and kind of let it fly. You don't have that time this year. So that's my one concern is how much does that change the game? And does that, by virtue of guys maybe not being able to collect themselves as much in pressure spots, does that lead to more runs in a way that maybe favors the offense? And then by virtue, does it make games longer at the end of games? I don't know. I mean, those are just things I'm wondering and concerns I have and concerns I know pitchers have talked about.
0: It's it's always the pace, right? I think the the baseball fan is going to have patience for, okay, maybe the game is the same length, but if there's something going on during these entire three hours, that's a win. And yes, are these all artificial measures? Of course they are. But if it's artificial measures to get the game back to where it stood in our sporting culture back when baseball was a much bigger deal than it is now, yes. And that has to be a win for everybody.
2: Yep. Yeah. No, 100%. I agree with you. And uh, I don't have, yeah, you're spot on. I mean, I think most people are trying to figure out what it is, right? Like pace is like this pace of play has been this ghost for the last 10 years. And like, everybody's trying to punch at it, but nobody can seem to pinpoint it, figure it out. Nobody has any answers. I mean, we do have answers. We see how slow players are, you know, pitchers are on the mound. Players are, you know, when they get out of the box five times in the bat, you know, when that used to be allowed. But this, I mean, just let's just look at it from a time perspective. In the minors last year, I think, um, and this one's been beaten to our heads. So, I, you know, I think it was, it reduced the average time a game by 30 minutes, which... I guess, you know, if it's a pitching duel, it's still going to be more exciting because it's going to look like, you know, guys working quick, like he's really working through a lineup, but you're totally right in that. How many games do we watch that are even five, four, but you're like, or five, one, you're like, man, there's just not much going on, you know? And I think this is going to create more action. And that's something Sean Murphy brought up is that when you control the running game, one little Kind of branch off of this tree of a rule change, if you will, is pitchers can only have two disengagements for plate appearance, and then they're done. The third one, if it's not uns- if it's not successful on a pickoff, is you know is deemed the runner can advance, and I think that's going to change the running game.
0: Here's Sean Murphy. Action on the bases is always fun. Uh, I know I like it when I'm watching when I'm watching a game and that kind of cat and mouse thing is happening. So. Hopefully we get more of that, more action on the bases, more guys trying to steal. Uh, I think that's good for everybody. We're going to enjoy, hopefully, watching Acuna and Albies and Michael Harris run around the bases all day. Sean Murphy's going to enjoy using his hose again.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, of course, he enjoys seeing action on the bases. It's it's easy to enjoy that when you had the third best caught stealing percentage um, in the majors last year. This is going to benefit the Braves. Now, I don't know if there'd ever be a way to get this. or I don't think Alex is, you know, really at the GM meetings, Alex said he didn't know. Alex Anthopoulos said he didn't know how much the rule changes would affect a front office's thinking because I don't have the sample size yet. But I'm going to say this. It definitely doesn't hurt having Sean Murphy given these rule changes because there's going to be a little more action on the bases. And teams like the Marlins, who kind of thrive on picking their spots and putting pressure on you and running on you. They're going to be able to do that a little more. And, you know, guys like Sean Murphy, there aren't a lot of them out there. And if there are, they don't swing as good of a bat as he does. Uh, so I, I do. I always wonder, like the front office calculus that had to make him even more attractive, though. He's a great player to begin with, one of the best catchers in baseball that gives the Braves a leg up, given these rule changes.
0: All right, coming up, we'll look at uh, some of the very few position battles that the Braves will have to deal with uh, starting uh, on Monday, and we'll also look at uh, why Ronald Acuna is now going to the WBC and Max Fried's arbitration situation. This is the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
3: When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart.
0: All right, now there are a few media organizations in Atlanta that cover spring training like we do here at the Atlanta Journal Constitution. I mean, you know, we went a whole house that, that Justin is the first to move into here for this month and a half. Uh, yeah, so we can be there to bring you every story that we can, all the photos as the Braves get ready to defend their NL East title and all the stories that we can find. We've got multiple reporters going down there, photographers. We'll have boots on the ground for the Braves Report podcast later up in the week. But to take advantage of everything we have to offer, you do need to subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's easy, and it's cheap to give us a shot right now. You can get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. So you'll get all of our Braves stories, all of our photos, our e-paper, the Braves Report newsletter, our columns from Mark Bradley and Michael Cunningham, and everything else that the AJC has to offer. So to take advantage of this deal, go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That is subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast ninety-nine cents for the next six months. So you always know what's really going on with the Braves and you always know what's really going on with Justin down in Florida.
2: Yeah. No, I mean I've started I mean geez I haven't even been here 24 hours yet and I'm starting to throw our neighbors I'm throwing them subscription things and like kind of like kind of like I'm a paper yeah. boy. So uh everybody here is reading about the Braves these days. Interesting note about the Braves, by the way. It's so funny how spring training affects these towns. I was trying to get peanuts in a grocery store the other day, like when I got here yesterday, and they had a Braves logo on them. Nice. I mean, this isn't Atlanta, but it just goes to show how big the Braves are here. So anyways, like Jay said, we'd love it if you'd subscribe. That's the only way we get to do this. We get to be down here. A little birdie told me you'll be down here soon.
0: Yep, coming down, uh, coming down at the end of the week, so we'll have uh, some expanded uh, Braves Report podcasts coming up next week as the uh, the players arrive, and uh, we hope to do a, a lot more as the Grapefruit, Le- Grapefruit League games get going. I've never been to spring training, so I'm uh, very much looking forward to this.
2: Yeah, I've got sunscreen if you need it. That's uh, that's my advice.
0: Noted. Got that. Now, joining me down to spring training is going to be a long list of uh, Braves non-roster invitees, and I went back and looked at. You know, last year's group, because there's always just like a couple of guys, you forget how they got there and you realize, oh, yeah, they weren't really part of the roster. They had a pretty good year. Well, last year you had contributions from Bryce Elder, Darren O'Day, and some guy who won the Rookie of the Year.
2: Yeah, seriously. It's always fun to look at that list and see who could be kind of that surprise name. And it's funny to me that (laughs) on the list of last year's NRIs, I mean, yeah, you're excited about seeing the top prospect in camp, things like that. But I would say we were more concerned with Spencer Strider. We were more concerned with Bryce Elder in terms of big league impact in 2022. Now Michael Harris is going to Hawks games, exchanging jerseys, has his own foundation, has a documentary out about him, um, and has won Rookie of the Year.
0: Uh, not, not on quite that super-de-duper star level list, but uh, you know one of the biggest names that stood out
1: to me in this bunch this year is Kevin Pillar. Two years ago, he had a really good year with the Mets and... and um... You know, I've always been, I've been an admirer of his. He's one of them gamer type guys that plays the game the right way, and and um, so you know, it's just another good option that we have as we you know try and sort through it.
0: That's Brian Snitker, Pilar, an accomplished, legitimate big leaguer. But what are his chances to make this team?
2: I I would actually say that they might be decent um, because he gives you solid defense. Um, he's kind of you know good and clutch situations, I mean in terms of giving you a professional at bat on uh, those spots, he does all the thing he runs well, he does all the things you need from a bench player um, in the role he'd be serving. I mean, I guess he could have starting time you know in the future depending on what happens. but I think he's got a decent chance to make it uh, maybe the best of the outfielders uh, that are you know NRIs. and so I mean I think I think he gives you what you would want from a bench player. Brian Snicker's absolutely right. He's a gamer. Like, I don't think Kevin is really going to blow you away in batting practice. But, I, I mean, he had a really, really good year for the Mets a couple of years ago when he suffered a broken nose, by the way, against the Braves. But he would be my surprise pick to make a contribution this year in terms of guys, I mean, guys on that list, not named Jesse Chavez, who, you know, made a big contribution last year.
0: But, you know, Jesse Chavez still fighting for a job, too. How, how many positions or, or, or openings are really available at this point? Yeah, I mean, it depends
2: how far down the bullpen ladder you want to go. So they're going to have shortstop. We've, we've been calling that a competition because Von Grissom still has to win the job. But to me, it just seems like, and I don't know this for a fact, but it, based on the way Alex Anthopoulos works, and there can still be moves that he makes, but if they didn't believe in Von Grissom, they would have done something about it. They would not have gone into spring training with just Orlando RC. And that's just my hunch. Um, but we'll call shortstop a competition left field's an open job. I mean, it's there for Eddie Rosario if he wants it. Uh, but is he going to be the Eddie Rosario from a couple years ago? I'm not even talking about the playoffs, but is he going to be, you know, that guy with a steady track record at the plate? Is he going to play solid defense? We'll see. Um, he's kind of, he's, he's got to win that job. Um, And so, and then it kind of goes, the fifth starter, Ian Anderson, Mike Soroka, maybe Bryce Elder. Um, I don't, this is just a prediction. I don't see Colby Allard having much of an outside shot. I mean, I think the Braves have some good options there for that fifth starter spot, but I would say it's Anderson or Soroka or Elder. Um, And I wouldn't count out Elder. I think he can sneak in there. He can really pitch. And then you look at, you know, the bullpen, Iglesias closing, uh, Minter, uh, Jimenez, okay, McHugh. You probably have five or six spots taken. I mean, it's just going to depend on what you want to do with the final couple unless injury, you know, injuries always occur. Some guys don't perform. We thought Luke Jackson was going to be an integral part last year. Things happen. I mean, I guess it's not as fun to discuss. <laughs> we'll have plenty of fun doing it this spring, but we don't have – a ton to talk about like, you know, we would if we were covering the Pirates or maybe even, you know, the Dodgers this year or something. But the Braves are in a good spot. This is a good sign. I mean, this is a sign of a healthy organization, a good team. They've got a lot of guys under control, um, a lot of young guys. And, uh, I mean, it's going to be this way for a few years.
0: What do you think of Jerry Schuster?
2: I like him. I mean, I, I was told last year that he probably had the best changeup in the system. Uh, and that was last spring. I mean, he's a guy who went to Wake Forest, obviously renowned for that pitching lab. I think he's one of you know the good ones, and he's pretty close to the majors. I would say, uh, based on looking at you know what he's done, and he seems to have a level head. I mean, he seems to be in the right place. I like him. I mean, I think he's going to be that guy, like a Spencer Strider last year, that we're gonna he's going to get, I would assume, significant opportunity in these Grapefruit League games, especially early on. Um, to be on that rotation and kind of see what he can do with some better competition. Like I, I would not rule him out uh, for debuting this year. Like I know the Braves have a lot of options, but I mean, Jared Schuster one of them that he's getting closer. And now after trade, after trade, after trade, including one from his buddy and college teammate, Ryan Cusick, who went to the A's in that Matt Olson deal. Schuster's probably their top prospect now.
0: Obviously, the World Baseball Classic will significantly affect how the spring training goes. And remember last month when we asked Ron Lacuna about not playing for Venezuela in the WBC? You know, me personally, I've always wanted to represent my team and play in the Classic. Um, you know, but the team and the medical staff have uh, you know come to the decision that that's probably not going to happen. Well, turns out it is. What changed?
2: Yeah, so Ronald Acuna will be playing in the World Baseball Classic as part of Team Venezuela, and for the Braves, I think they just got more comfortable with this. About a month ago, their medical people, you know, thought it it might be best to have eyes on him the entire spring uh, here in Northport, and to let him, you know, to help him build up gradually after a season in which, let's be honest, he still, you know, dealt with the knee issues. He wasn't himself. Uh, So they were going to have eyes on him and it was going to be important for them to build him up gradually on their own in camp and be able to monitor him daily. What changed is kind of the Braves feel more comfortable because he wasn't going to be held, you know, with restrictions anyways. So from the Braves perspective, this is, well, if we were going to play him in spring, the same, we're going to play any other starter. And if we weren't going to DH him, we weren't going to do this. We weren't going to do that. Um, and they don't plan to have any restrictions on him in the regular season, why would the World Baseball Classic not be viable? And Acuna wanted to play. They came to the decision last Wednesday to let him do so. You know, and, and there's a trust factor too, right? They can reverse course and pull the plug on this at any point. If Acuna experiences soreness, he has to report it. If he experiences any pain, he's got to report that. There's a trust there. And also the Braves have received assurances from Team Venezuela that um, and manager Omar Lopez that they will, of course, you know, as it's kind of the the gentleman's agreement in all of this, they will try to do their best to to keep Acuna safe, to keep him healthy, and they'll have open lines of communication with the Braves. For the Braves more so, I think it was just like, hey, the knee is fine. There have been no issues. He DH'd in winter ball. Um, he's been working out. He hasn't experienced anything. He's healthy. So he wasn't going to be restricted in the field at all come the Grapefruit League games. So why would they keep him out of the WBC? It's just a handful of games. You know, who knows? Obviously, like, I would assume there's going to be concern on the team, you know, the team side. Everybody's still worried because injuries can and do happen no matter, you know, if Team Venezuela is trying to protect Acuna or, you know, whatever. Injuries just happen. They can happen in spring training. They can happen in the WBC. But For the Braves, it was like, you know, like, why not? Um, He was going to play every day here anyways. Come this season, he's not their DH. He's their full-time right fielder, and they believe his knee's in good shape. And they've got... I mean, he's... So I saw on Instagram today recording the Super Bowl Sunday that he's here now. So that means from now until early March when the WBC guys report for their respective teams and their respective countries... um, He's got about three weeks in front of the Braves', you know, health staff, performance staff, those people that, that need to monitor him. So they'll have a few weeks with him to kind of start to build him up as they want to. Um, he'll play in the WBC and they're just kind of viewed as like, oh, it's it's almost like he's playing and you know, it's not like they're gonna be playing four games in a row or whatever. It's almost like he's playing in regular spring training games for them.
0: I was I was looking through some of the rosters yesterday because that's what I do on a Saturday. Um, and here is uh, this week's Braves Report trivia question. Name the two former Braves that are in the pitching pool for Team Netherlands. One's Ooh, pretty easy uh, one you're never going to get. Jair Jurgens? Oh, you are going to get it. Kenley oh. and Jair Jurgens.
2: Oh, and then the – the oh, of course, the obvious one is Kenley. Um, also, the most obscure name that I saw – when I was watching that roster reveal came from team Italy, right-handed pitcher, Matt Harvey. And I, when they revealed that oh, on wow. uh, MLB network, I was like, wait, it, it, that Matt Harvey, like the, the Matt Harvey, um, <laughs> the dark Knight that rose and then subsequently fell. But yeah, this is, I love the WBC cause you see so many of these just random names that you just, you know, you forgot of, you didn't know. Um, you know it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, who's beaten? Who's beaten the Dominican Republic, though? Oh yeah, they're stacked. I mean,
0: that's a tough pool because you got Venezuela yeah. there too and Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico has a great
2: roster, and in that pool might be on the outside. You know, looking in. Um, what do you do though? What do you do if your team Israel and then you and you're that in that pool with
0: those three? The plucky underdogs from six years ago got the deck stacked against them now.
2: Oh yeah, well. I mean, so you, for the Braves, you've got Acuna and Rosario in that same group. Eddie Rosario will be, you know, with Puerto Rico. Um, and then you've got Trump with the Netherlands and Ron Hell with, you know, with Mexico. And it'll be, uh, it'll be pretty interesting. You have to think that in the four years here, Austin Riley's probably going to get a shot uh, for the U.S., right? Michael Harris, maybe?
0: Oh, Yeah. Yep, uh, you, well, one one would think they would definitely be uh, contenders to play for Team USA. Team USA is going to be fine, though. Their services are not really needed in the lineup at this point.
2: <laughs> no, you've got Goldie and Arenado at the corners. Yeah, that'll do. Trey Turner, that's a lot of money on that Team USA team.
0: Mike Trout in center? Yeah, I think
2: uh, I think they're going to be just
0: fine. One guy who's not on Team USA but is better than some of the pitchers, it was kind of hard to to get a, as elite rotation as you could, is Max Freed. First of all, um, here's kind of where the things stand for him on his contract extension. Uh, Alex Anthopoulos was asked this at Bracefest.
1: Fest. My goal with these guys is that you only, you only hear about it when we put out a release. We try to keep that stuff quiet. But I've said this. Our 2025 rotations a big concern of mine. As much as we got to worry about 23 and 24, um, I believe our two best seasons during the season were when our rotations were the deepest. 2019 and 2022. We had really deep rotations. That's going to be a priority, and that's probably all I can say on that.
0: Uh, so he tap danced through that question. But uh, Max Fried loses his arbitration case. He wanted uh, 15. The Braves are going to pay him 13 and a half. In the list of ingredients needed for a long term deal, how much does losing an arbitration case over a 10% raise change the recipe?
2: I don't think any.
0: Like, obviously,
2: it's hard to say never because I guess somebody could conceivably be like, wow, I'm upset that I didn't win, you know, my arbitration case, whatever. But I, I think players just understand this is business. There just isn't any malcontent or anger over that sort of thing it's part of the business so once you reach three years of service time or in max fried's case because he had so much of it in his first two years up uh he's a super two player so two years you get to go to arbitration and that actually like strengthens player salaries like if you think about it uh for these one-year deals and it allows players to be kind of compensated year to year and, and still and get almost like higher salaries but before they get to free agency For Max Freed, like this just doesn't change anything. Him losing doesn't mean he's mad at the Braves. It doesn't mean they didn't value him properly. Like I see a lot of people saying that, oh, well, you know, now we're not gonna pay our ace what he's worth. I think is Max Freed worth 15 million, like, you know, sure, in a vacuum, but arbitration is based on comparisons. So, you know, he would be compared, you know, it could be compared with like Julio Arias or, you know, like Garrett Cole from years ago. The precedent wasn't really there for Fried to make 15 million, in my opinion. But, you know, it doesn't mean he shouldn't have, you know, filed with that. I mean, he's still going to make 13.5. Like, it's still a tremendous raise, like a really big raise. It's almost 7 million above his, you know, 2022 salary. So I just don't think it means much. Like, and let's remind people of this. A year ago, Austin Riley lost his arbitration case over far less money. And it was a far smaller gap and signed a long term extension three months later. Dansby Swanson went to arbitration twice with the Braves and still wanted to come back. Obviously, the money didn't work out there and the Cubs paid him more, but he still wanted to come back to the Braves. It's a part of the business, and players understand that. Like, as much as it can seem weird to fans, like it's team versus player in a court and a hearing, you know, in front of a, an independent panel, it, it has all the makings to make you think that it would be this contentious thing but it's like if Max Fried won the Braves wouldn't have been oh shoot like now we have to pay him more they just would have paid it it's just a process right like it's just a business and it's the process you go through when you get to that and it actually is like it's designed to like help players like it's designed to like get them more like what they're fairly like worth year after year um and it's designed to designed to let them have a say so that's not going to change anything
0: one more a bit of news before we get into uh, the ask Justin segment is the Braves' front office is going through some changes as well. Atlanta's VP is scouting Dana Brown, now becoming the GM in Houston.
3: He was very analytic, savvy. Uh, he's a great talent evaluator based upon what we've seen at the Braves. Uh, seasoned at player acquisitions, seasoned at player development, uh, and retention. They were always able to extend some of their player contracts.
0: That's Astros owner Jim Crane, when you have a successful organization like the Braves do, uh, people are going to get promotions in other places. But, uh, you know, in the back room of the baseball world, how key is uh, or was Dana Brown to what's been built here?
2: Yeah, really key. One thing I think Alex Anthopoulos has done a really good job of, um, and he doesn't need my approval on this, it's in the results, is just surrounding himself with people that, one, are good objectively, like objectively talented, but two, that he trusts. I think he has a really good sense of like who he can work with and who's going to provide him with with kind of what he needs in these in these roles. Dana Brown was as important as any. Um so Chris Lionetti an area scout with the Braves uh discovered Michael Harris years ago but Dana Brown was the one who really pushed Anthopolis to draft Harris in the third round because Dana feared that like simply put, you know, if they let him get any further down if they didn't take him there they thought he'd be taken. They thought, you know, other teams were on him uh and they Dana felt like that he knew he knew in his heart that they had to take him there. And so they took Michael Harris there Um, a year later, they were deciding between Spencer Strider and Bryce elder and, you know, Dan and his team liked the analytical profile more of, of Spencer and took him first. They ended up getting both, but they thought Strider same deal probably was going to be gone if they didn't take him there. Um, And, I think he was crucial um, in terms of not only Dana's is like a scout as peers as they come. He's not a guy who just, you know, works in the office and ran the draft from a computer. You know, he he's a scout. He was out at games day after day after day after day with his whole team. And he'll be the first to tell you that it takes a team of scouts. But it's it's a big loss just because you can't replicate somebody specifically. Dana Brown was obviously so successful um, and so, you know, productive in his role in the Braves front office uh, as a vice president of scouting, running the amateur draft, you know, it takes a team, but it, you know, Dana's evaluator's eye and his mind and the way he sees the game is eventually what pushed him over the top. Right. And obviously it takes other things like people see the Braves having success. You look at Dana Brown and his resume, it just, just grew. I mean, and you could have said, you know, he was in line for GM jobs, you know, a few years ago and like, you know, over the years, but, he got this one, and uh, what better resume than Michael Harris, Spencer Strider, Von Grissom, and Bryce Elder, all impacted the big league team in the same year as they overcame a 10.5 game deficit over the Mets. And I think you and I have said this on this podcast a billion times. They don't win without those rookies, every one of them. They don't win the division. Nope. Uh, those guys changed the entire complexion of the season. And so Dana Brown was due, for sure. It's It's a big loss but you know the blueprint's still here right and alex hates that word cuz he doesn't believe you can just lay a blueprint of culture or something like that but what i'm talking about is he obviously knows what he wants and what he needs in a position like dana's um, and you know he's going to he's going to go out and get it when they reevaluate it after the season um, it's kind of too late in the baseball calendar with the season almost starting to pull you know somebody else away so they're
0: going to reevaluate after the season but yeah dana's a big loss all right, so there's not much the Braves can do you know. now that the season is here. How how will they kind of manage Brown's departure? Who's coming in?
2: They have brought in another evaluator. So Dean uh, DeCelis, who was a special assignment scout for the Blue Jays, um, and Thopolis worked with him there in Toronto when he was the GM there, is coming on as a special assistant to the GM. So sometimes baseball teams in front offices will do these roles that are a little undefined in how they sound, but he, his role will be in 100% scouting. So Dean is going to over, you know, he's gonna see the top international players. He'll see the top amateur players here stateside before the draft. And he's another evaluator. So obviously he's not Dana Brown. It's not, he's not being brought in to replace Dana Brown, but the Braves needed another evaluator, you know, another set of good veteran eyes because they lost Dana Brown. And a little background on Jealous is a special assignment assignment scout uh, for the Blue Jays, he's actually responsible for finding Alejandro Kirk and Santiago Espinal, who um, both were all stars. And obviously, of course, like throughout the years, and Anthopolis had known, you know, you follow up, you follow people and you kind of know uh, some of their hits and some of the players that they'd seen and their their history. Um, so they've known each other a while and DeCellis has worked with, you know, I think this is, will be his fifth or sixth organization if I'm not mistaken. So it's another pair of kind of veteran eyes, another good established experienced evaluator. Um, and he won't be taking Dana Brown's job, but he'll be a special assistant, uh, to the GM whose role is going to be in a hundred percent scouting. So just giving themselves a little bit of a boost after losing Dana.
0: All right, now time for the Ask Justin segment where we answer Braves fans' questions on Twitter at... Justin C. Toscana. All right, first up, Ronald Coleman. Justin, true or false? Has Ron Lacuna requested a trade?
2: I I mean, I didn't even check up on that just because I saw that it came from a guy whose handle on Twitter is the lion in Texas, and his avatar, his picture, is (laughs) a person with, like, a lion for their head. And so I just figured, I think that's just one, if I'm wrong, I'll eat it on this podcast, but I don't, that's just not, yeah, I don't think I wouldn't read into that. That's that, that person, I don't, it's not suitable for this podcast, Jay, but I also a couple of days ago went down and read like some of their tweets from five days ago and I can tell you it's a parody account.
0: All right. So we've settled that. Uh, next up from a gone, assuming everybody is healthy. Who takes the open two spots on the forty man once Matzik and uh, Ianoa are sent to the IL? Ooh, um,
2: I'm going to say Jesse Chavez and Kevin Pillar.
0: From Kevin Lyon, any reason to be hopeful for an Eddie Rosario bounce back after his eye trouble? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think the Braves see it like this. Look, like he's a guy who's had a strong track record offensively. He's never had a year. As, I mean, he struggled. But he's never had a year as bad as it was last year. And they have something to explain, you know, to explain that. Eye troubles. Like obviously, it just completely. They felt when he got the procedure that it just completely explained his issues. If you can see the ball. And I mean, I think there's there's optimism for a bounce back, but I mean, I could see this going a number of ways. Like I could see them platooning, I could see Luplo getting time too. I could see Pilar starting games. Like, if Eddie Rosario doesn't take control, i mean that that job, you know, won't be his. But but i think there's some optimism there. He's a guy who's always been a pretty good hitter. Um he's never had a year as bad as it was last year. Is he going to stack it with a year that's almost as bad? Like i the odds say probably no unless there's lingering issues with his eye, but we, you know, we're told that that wasn't the case.
0: All right, next up from Slesco. Update on who Bally will tap to be the announcer next season. Nothing
2: official yet. But it's gotta be getting close. And I saw there were a couple of reports of Tom Hart, which would make sense, worked in the market, you know, knows the company. They need somebody quickly. Um, but with Bally, you know, and, and Sinclair kind of being in bankruptcy mode right now, I don't know the proper term for that. It it's gonna be interesting to see who they who they tap. But nothing official yet. It'll come soon though.
0: And finally, on that topic of bankruptcy, JP Swain wants to know have the Braves said anything about the impending Bally bankruptcy? They have not said anything. All right, and we will uh, wrap it up here with our uh, normally our winners of the week, but we will call it our winners of the offseason now that the offseason is officially over. So who is your winner of the offseason? I think mine's got to be Sean Murphy. I mean,
2: to go from the graveyard in Oakland to immediately being dropped on like a team with title aspirations,
0: that's a pretty good switch. I thought about Dansby because uh, he uh, got a nice paycheck, but I'm going go with Vaughn Grissom. Yeah. The Braves said here's your chance, go take it. And that's all you want in baseball and life, right, is an opportunity, and he will get his.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Barring anything crazy, he'll get his. And uh, Dansby did get a nice deal, though. That would have been a good one. I thought about Grissom as well for that, but he's, I don't know, he's he's still got to go win the job.
0: All right, so that is our uh, spring training uh, preview here. And we're going to have a lot more shows uh, coming up uh, from Florida. So uh, stick with us and uh, pay attention to Justin's Twitter account. We'll let you know when those are uh, coming out. And uh, please make sure you rate, review, follow, and share what we got. Please tell your friends and tell your enemies and help us grow the show. So, uh, Justin, we got a lot of talking to do between now and uh, the end of March.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we'll be here every step of the way. And. Uh... In person, too, and got a couple cool things planned. So stay tuned, keep listening, and uh, as always, thanks for your guys' support. All
0: right, that's it. So we will see you all in the next edition of the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
3: When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers. So we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart.